Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. Sarah Gulseth is away today. We have a great study of God's Word in the Lutheran Witness as we are searching the scriptures in the January issue in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining me today, the Reverend Roy Askins, Managing Editor of the Lutheran Witness. Time for searching the scriptures. Pastor Askins, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Thank you, Andy. It's always great to be back with you guys. Looking forward to another year of digging into God's Word with you in searching the Scriptures. What's new in the Lutheran Witness this year? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I'd like to uh, mention, we, uh, for those of you who have your Lutheran Witness in hand, you'll notice we've changed the look a bit, uh, updated the design a bit to kind of reflect our emphasis on teaching and words and the Word of God. So you're going to see um, perhaps a little bit more subdued design overall, but a fantastic uh, magazine, once again, that emphasizes the Word of God, teaching and receiving and hearing this Word of God. Um, so that's one of the first things you'll notice as you look at the magazine. It looks a little bit different. We also added this year, and this is going to be for the entire year of 2022, we added a fiction series by Katie Shurman. This is something the Lutheran Witness has done cool. in the past. Back in the early 1900s, the Lutheran Witness actually had, well, actually, I should say for the first 30 30 years or 40 years of the magazine, there was a section called Hearth and Home, and it was a series of little fictional moralistic stories. Now, that is not what Katie is writing. However, they were <laughs> fictional stories there. And she, Katie has done a fantastic uh, series for us, kind of continuing her Anthems of Zion series, which has been really appreciated and beloved by many, many people. So uh, those are kind of the two big things happening in the magazine. So uh, please let us know if you uh, have your magazine, if you like these changes, what your thoughts are. We appreciate that feedback. So those are kind of the two big things. I guess the other thing is searching scripture. We've changed our topics. So last year we studied the Apostles' Creed and went phrase by phrase through the Apostles' Creed. This year we are working through the book of Ephesians. Awesome. I'm looking forward to digging into Ephesians. What do we need to know then about the text that we're going to look at today? Anything? Do you want to give us any preview before we dig in? Yeah, a little bit of preview would be good. So the text that we're going to start with today is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So it's kind of the opening that St. Paul gives, and we're going to read through the whole thing. And, and it's his opening introduction, introducing himself, introducing the people to whom he is writing this letter. And it's actually, it's fantastic. It's actually one long prayer. It's actually, I think, I think this might be, I have to double check this, but I'm pretty sure it's the longest sentence in the Greek New Testament. In English, we can't handle sentences that are this long. I believe this was a, a Faulkner <laughs> thing to write these long, ongoing sentences. We don't do that. But they did in Greek. And if you could do it well in Greek, it marked you as one who really knew the language well. And this is exactly what St. Paul's doing. He's running through this one big, long sentence that we break up in English, but it's all one big, long prayer that is really fascinating and, and interesting for us. So that's where we're starting with Ephesians, with this opening. The other thing I should mention, this is going to come up in our study today is you're going to see previews, foreshadowings of the things that are going to be coming up later on in the epistle. So he kind of hints at what he's going to be discussing later on in the epistle. So it's a great introduction to the letter as well. Very good. All right. We ready for question number one? Let's do Actually, before we do question number one, is sure. it okay if I read this whole section real quick? Uh, Certainly. All right. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter one, verses one through 14, and then we'll dive into the first question. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Okay. Amen. That's right. It's a fantastic prayer there. <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of the the what we'll be discussing today. All right. So the f- first question, number one, read Ephesians chapter one, verses one through two. Apostle means one who is sent. Read Galatians one, verses eleven through seventeen. By what authority does Paul claim the title of apostle? Return to Ephesians chapter one, verse two. Where have you heard a similar phrase? What might we surmise from this connection? Okay. So I probably, as usual, should have split this up into two questions because they're somewhat unrelated. But let's let's begin with this uh, this opening, these two opening verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As is his custom, Paul is beginning this letter by introducing himself. When we write letters today, we usually start with the the person who is receiving the letter as though we are addressing it to them. Back then, you begin with who is writing the letter because it was a, if it was in a scroll, you had to unscroll the whole thing to figure out who had written it. So he, you begin with who is writing it and then to whom he is, it is being written. And so this is Paul to the saints who are in Ephesus. And he calls himself an apostle. Now, this is kind of a bold claim if you think about it, because the apostle, we typically refer to the apostles as those 12 disciples, and then after Judas killed himself, the 11 disciples, who were with Jesus during his entire earthly ministry, right? This is, in fact, precisely what St. Peter says when they look to replace Judas in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and following. They are looking for someone with some very specific requirements. And these requirements are someone who has accompanied us all through the time, uh, St. Peter says, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So this was the apostle. The apostle is one who was sent to witness to the resurrection and to the life and teaching and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, I should say death in there too. So the, kind of the whole span of Jesus' life and ministry, the apostle was one who was supposed to witness to this. Well, here you have St. Paul claiming to be an apostle, and he certainly wasn't there. Well, by what right does he do that? For that, we can go to Galatians chapter 1, where St. Paul is talking about his call by God 
to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles in particular. And I'll let you y'all go ahead and read through this on your own. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. And actually, I would encourage you to go all the way to 24, because reading more, more of the Bible is always a good thing, right? And um, here he talks about how he was persecuting the church, and yet the Lord called him out of that, and he received his teaching, according to St. Saint, Saint Paul himself, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He didn't receive it from man. He received his call and his teaching directly, and by this is therefore also was also sent by God, by virtue of that call, to be an apostle, in particular to the Gentiles. So this is the right by which he does this, by the authority given to him by his call, especially as we see on the road to Damascus, the Lord calling him to to preach and proclaim to the Gentiles. Now, so that's the first part of the question. The second part <laughs> of the question, I'm getting there. I'm getting to the whole thing. Okay, so the second part of the question is this phrase, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask the question, where do you, have you heard a similar phrase? Um, Andy, have you heard a phrase like this before frequently, actually? Repeat the phrase the here. You, you did. Can you repeat the phrase? Grace to you and peace oh, from yeah. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, like almost all the epistles in, in some way have yes. some sort of greeting like that. Yes, they almost all have some sort of greeting. But outside of the epistles, this is also often something pastors use to introduce their sermons, right? They'll oh, yeah, yeah. With, Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, the reason I bring this up is to show this connection between how the epistle would have been used in the Ephesian congregation, as well as, and then the, the, the connection with uh, modern day sermons. So this epistle that Paul wrote would have been read to the entire congregation, probably in what would have been the time that the sermon and instruction would have taken place. In other words, this was intended as a worship document. He sent this to the people of Ephesus, and they would have copied this and also sent it to the other churches around the area as well. And they would have read this as part of a, as possibly a sermon, something along those lines. This would have been used in worship in that way. And when pastors use this phrase, not saying that their sermons are inspired in the way that St. Paul's inspired, but they are drawing a connection between this is the preaching and proclamation of the Word of God that is happening to you in this place at this moment. Does that make sense? Am I, mm -hmm. am I explaining that well? Sure. The, the, the sermons that we hear on Sunday mornings are, have a lot in common with the sermons, in a sense, that we read in the epistles. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Well, All right. So anything else on question one? I think we can move on. Okay, question two. Read Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14, which we just did a moment ago. English Bibles break up this section into several sentences. In fact, it is all one long sentence being offered as a prayer. What do you notice about the prayer? How might it inform your own praying? So we kind of, we talked a little bit about this. I'm not going to reread the whole thing. I'm just going to start kind of with this, what do we notice about, about the prayer? And what you notice is that it begins with this word, blessed, and it, it's called a barakah prayer. And it is something that was often done in Jewish synagogues, and it is a prayer blessing God for the work that he has done for the people. So as you look through this, you see St. Paul is writing this, and he's just stacking phrase upon phrase of what the Lord has done for the people, right? He blesses the Lord. So it, this is not in the sense of 
asking the Lord for a blessing, but declaring that the Lord is blessed and describing, therefore, the state of existence in which God's people live as a consequence of his blessing of them, right? So blessed be the Lord. These are all the wonderful things that he has done this. And it simply praises God. Now, what's fascinating about this is we tend to focus our prayers on our petitions and our requests, right? We ask God for things, which is good and right and appropriate, and we should be doing these things. But this prayer is all about praising God. And what I find really fascinating is this. You look back at some of the old prayers, especially like the prayers, uh, there's some at CPH's book, the Lutheran Prayer Companion, that are just fantastic. And they spend a good portion of the prayer also praising God for all the wonderful things he has done before they even get to the petition and the request. So that the whole idea is actually, in some sense, reflecting on our state of blessedness as a consequence of God's work for us, which kind of is a whole change of mind and attitude for us, because we're focusing so much on giving thanks and praise uh, to God for the wonderful things he has done for us. So I I just think it's a, a very helpful opportunity for us to reflect on maybe in our prayers, we also need to spend some time blessing God and praising him for what he has done for us. Have you, do you ever incorporate that sort of thing in your prayers, Andy? Oh, sure. The, we've used some, I mean, there are some models or I guess you might say formulas for prayer that we might use that includes those blessing mm. God. Right, like the acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, yeah. supplication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's an ex- excellent example, once again, of using not simply prayer as an opportunity to request things from God, but also to praise and bless Him for what He's done for us. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, I, we are at a midpoint. I know we may have more on question number two, um, but let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll continue our study in Searching the Scriptures in the January issue of The Lutheran Witness with the Reverend Roy Askins. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. <laughs> You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. Sarah's away today. We are searching the scriptures today in the January issue of the Lutheran Witness with the Reverend Roy Askins. We are in Ephesians chapter 1 this time. And uh, so if you have your January issue, take a look. It's near the back cover. Um, We are moving on to question number three. Read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. In this section, St. Paul discusses the doctrine of election, that God has chosen us to be his children from before the foundation of the world. Also read Second Peter 3, verse 9, who does God desire to save? Read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2. Are we capable of believing on our own? Lots of good questions all related there. So let's, yes. let's dig into this. So we have, you know, what, uh, 15 minutes to talk about the doctrine of election. We could spend, <laughs> you know, entire episodes on this. The doctrine of predestination is a very difficult teaching for many people for a number of different reasons. And I think it's important to, to note two things. First off, we don't approach the doctrine of election 
with reason in mind. We approach it uh, from the Word of God and how God speaks about His desire and His goal for um, His people. And and we we take what Scripture says, and that's what we believe and confess. And so, in light of that, that's why we have these three Bible passages that we're going to look at and then grab some understanding of what predestination is. So, chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, says, Even as He chose us, so even as God chose us in Him, that is, in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. And then later on, actually, I'm also going to mention in verse 11, St. Paul continues, In Him, that is, in Jesus we have obtained an inheritance, which, which, sorry, let me try that again. In Jesus, we have an obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose mm-hmm. of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So once again, God chose us before the foundation of the world. And here's the first point. The doctrine of election is a doctrine of comfort. Just think of the wonderful comfort that God knew that he would choose you Andy, to be his child, even before he created the world, from before the foundation of the world, he chose you to be his own child. And he organized all of history so that he could also redeem you, so that Jesus would come, suffer and die, and that he could choose you to be his child. What an amazing doctrine of comfort. The problem comes Mm -hmm. that when we try to use our human reason, we would say, well, he chose some, therefore he didn't choose others. And that's certainly not the case. Scripture doesn't speak in that way. God only chooses uh, those who will be his, his child. Uh, we call this in Lutheran parlance, single predestination, right? He chooses those who will be his children. And for that, we look to passages such as 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, which we have here. Who does God desire to save? Well, Peter says, The Lord is not slow in fulfill, to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, right? God desires all that all God desires that all sinners would repent of their sins and uh, and come to the faith and and become his children. Um, so, so can we believe on our own? <laughs> we cannot, <laughs> this leads us to the next question, which means all of the work of salvation then is his. This leads us to the Ephesians chapter 2 and kind of the preview that we see here in this letter. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, you all know this this uh, very well. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the prince of power of the air, among basically that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You are not able to bring yourself up out of the mire. Dead people don't choose God, right? Dead people are dead. Uh, they must be brought to life through the work of God alone. And that is kind of the heart of single predestination, that God chooses us and brings us to life. All right. Are we ready for question four? I think so. All right. Read Ephesians chapter one, verses seven through eight. The verb lavished has the connotation of pouring out. What riches were poured out upon you? How else does St. Paul describe them in this opening prayer? Okay, so let's read the passage. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, and so on. So the idea here with lavished is it's got the connotation, as I mentioned here, of pouring out. I mean, you think of a pitcher, you know, somebody filling up a pitcher and they're talking to somebody and they're not paying attention and they overfill the pitcher and it's just pouring Mm -hmm. all over the place. That's the context here. It's overflowing, except for the fact that Jesus is paying attention and yet he continues to pour and just overflowing. Uh, uh, This is helpful for us because I think sometimes we get, we think of 
uh, God's work for us and, and, the, and the forgiveness of sins. And we sometimes get a little bored with talking about the forgiveness of sins again and again and again. And what St. Paul does in this uh, opening letter here and this opening prayer is explain all the various different aspects of what this pouring out is. Mm-hmm. And let me, let me run through some of these. There's a whole bunch of them. When he's talking about this lavish pouring out of gifts upon us, he's talking about such things as in verse 3, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, or in verse four, being chosen in him, in Jesus Christ from before the foundation of the world, or, or again in verse four, that we should be holy and blameless, that we are predestined for adoption in verse five, or blessing us in the beloved, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. This is part of his lavish pouring out all of these things. There's a, another 10 more, but we're running out of time, so I can't do them all. These are all ways of describing the lavish pouring out uh, of of God's grace on us, and particularly here, the, the the metaphor is one of water being poured out on us in the waters of holy baptism, and this comes up again later on in the uh, in both in the book of Ephesians, but later on in this prayer. Let's go ahead and run on to question five. All right, read Ephesians chapter one verses nine through ten. What is the mystery of Christ? See Ephesians three verses three through six. What is the fullness of time? Galatians four four. And how did God unite all things in heaven and things on earth in Jesus Christ? Ephesians two fourteen to sixteen. You know, I'll admit, Andy, uh, the problem with doing a book of the uh, Bible is that there's just so many questions we need to pack in here. We just don't have enough space. We have so many questions. Let's let's uh, read verses 9 through 10. This is uh, St. Paul continuing the prayer, making known to us the mystery of his will, that is God's will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that is in Jesus Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Okay, so what is this mystery of the will of God? Well, the mystery is simply that God has brought Gentiles into the household of God, that this redemption, the salvation that is being accomplished through Jesus Christ is not simply for the Jews, not simply for the descendants of Abraham by genealogical descendants, but actually it is for um, all the Gentiles. And this is what St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. Uh, once again, speaking of this foreshadowing, this is what comes up later. He says, how the mystery was made known to me, that is to St. Paul, by revelation as, I've, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive, perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, so the mystery is that you and I, Andy, Gentiles are incorporated also into the household of God. So that's the first question. Second question is, what is the fullness of time? As we're coming here off of the Christmas season, you all should know this. We can find an example of this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. The fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The fullness of time is that Christ came in the incarnation, became a man that he could suffer and die to redeem us from our sins. And then finally, how does God unite all things in heaven and on earth in Jesus Christ? This actually, the, the point here is this is actually a fulfillment of the Lord's prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven. In Jesus Christ, he now reconciles God and man. And now things as they are in heaven are also on earth. We are reconciled to God in Jesus Christ 
And I'm not going to read the Ephesians passage. You'll have to wait until we get there in the, that Bible study. But he talks further about that in that Ephesians chapter 2 passage. All right. Last question? Yes, last question. <laughs> read Ephesians 1 verse 13. Where else in the scripture is the idea of sealing or marking present? See also Genesis 4 verse 15, Ezekiel 9 verse 4 through 6, and Revelation chapter 7 verses 2 through 4. Circumcision was also a mark or sign. What New Testament institution corresponds to this that St. Paul might have in mind here? So here, the whole point to bring this back around is once again the emphasis on baptism and God's work, sealing us, providing us an eternal inheritance, lavishing out, pouring out his grace upon us in the waters of holy baptism. That's where all of this comes together. So let's read this verse, verse 13 from chapter 1 of Ephesians. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, so this idea of sealing and marking was frequent throughout the Old Testament. Um, for example, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, God puts a mark upon Cain to protect him from uh, those who would kill him for murdering his brother. In Ezekiel chapter 9, this is a, a fantastic passage where God sends out a man in a linen robe to go out and mark those who belong to God with a tov, which would have looked very similar to what we kind of think of as like the sign of the cross. And he marks them on the forehead with this tov as, they, as he goes throughout the city. And those who were marked were protected uh, when destruction came upon the city. And then Revelation chapter 7, verse 2, is the sealing of the 144,000, uh, a reference to the full number who will be who are called by God to be his children and brought into his eternal kingdom. So this idea of sealing is the idea of, of receiving a mark, uh, sealing you as God's own child, as one who belongs to him. And this is certainly what happens to us in the waters of holy baptism. God marks us as his own, seals us as his own, and lavishes his grace upon us in this gift. And this, this gift of baptism is therefore a fulfillment of circumcision, which was itself a mark, a daily reminder to the Hebrew people of who they belong to, right? Now in baptism, that is fulfilled and we receive even overabundant grace in these waters of holy baptism. Hmm. Would you like to wrap it up and put a bow on it for us today? We can do that. So, so this It's still Christmas, right? Yeah, it's, well, exactly. well, it's Epiphany now, but yeah. It's the other Christmas. You should go visit witness.lcms.org. We have a great article coming out in a couple of days, The Other Christmas by Dr. Bombaro, and he'll, he'll, he'll draw that connection between Epiphany for you. As for wrapping up this study today, um, St. Paul begins his letter to Ephesians with this foundation on um, you as a child of God, chosen from before the foundation of the world to be his child, and how he has sealed you as this child in the waters of holy baptism, and then continues to lavish this grace upon you. So this is this is the whole prayer is blessing God for this wonderful work he has done for us. And the next section that's where we'll tackle next month is another Thanksgiving and prayer, but this Thanksgiving and prayer actually then moves into petition and request. And we'll pick that up when we start, when we do the, the Bible study next month. Very good. And how to find the Lutheran witness? Visit witness.lcms.org. You can read uh, additional content, articles that we publish there. If you just want to go and subscribe, which I encourage you to do, visit cph.org slash witness. That's cph.org slash witness, and you, you can subscribe there at the CPH website. The Reverend Roy Askins, Managing Editor for The Lutheran Witness. Thanks so much for spending some time with us in the Word on the Coffee Hour today. Thank you very much, Andy. 
You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.